Well, it was actually during the bubonic plague that ravaged Europe some centuries ago that people would start saying, God bless you, after someone sneezed. Now, what they were really saying is, and I know we don't think of it this way, what they were really saying is, I hope you don't die from the plague. You know, I hope that was, that sometimes a sneeze is just a sneeze. And I know when the coronavirus pandemic started ramping up, I heard lots of people say, oh, I feel bad if I sneeze or even just slightly cough. And if I'm in a public place or standing within a few feet of anyone else, because I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, boy, that person has the coronavirus. That person's, they've got COVID and they're spreading it to us. And so, so yeah, sometimes though, regardless of what might be going around, whether it's flu season or whatever else, Sometimes a sneeze is just a sneeze and a cough is just a cough, right? But in the context of the bubonic plague, they would say, God bless you, as a way of saying, I care enough about you that I hope you don't die from this thing that's going around. And of course, like many things in society, it started in one context and it has continued on since then. Just this morning, my wife sneezed, and I said, God bless you. And so it's something that we still do today, but what it was saying in its original context was, I care enough about you that I don't want something serious to happen to you. In other words, you find favor with me. And we're talking today about God's favor. In the Old Testament alone, the word favor appears well over a hundred times. All the way back as early as Genesis chapter 6, the Lord is looking upon the humanity with judgment because God is a God of love, but He is also a righteous judge. And so he's looking upon humanity with judgment and he is saying, you know, these people have become so violent, we read in in Genesis 6. And so he decides that he is going to repopulate the earth through Noah. And so in Genesis 6 verse 8, we read, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now the context of that verse of Scripture is right after God says that He regrets making humankind. And then we get that, but God found favor, excuse me, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 12, uh, the Israelite people had been enslaved for generation upon generation. And so finally, after all of those times that God sends Moses to Pharaoh, that he would uh, try to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And then the people finally, after unfortunately it took death in their own households to release God's people. And then we read that, that God 
allowed the Egyptians to look favorably toward the Israelites. Had the Israelites just left after all those uh, centuries of, of captivity, they would have had nothing. They were slaves after all. But God knows they need provisions in order to survive the journey in the desert. And so in Exodus 12.36, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 33, we read of the relationship with Moses and God uh, in more detail. Exodus 33, beginning with verse, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this mission, that this nation, excuse me, is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses told him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. In your presence I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And we see right there the depth of the relationship between God and Moses. That God trusted Moses to lead his people. That Moses understands that he is seen favorably by God. He is a recipient of God's favor. God is going to do something for Moses that he is not willing to do for anyone else. And so we read over and over again in the Hebrew Scriptures about God's favor. But then we get to the New Testament. And it's almost sort of puzzling because there's only a handful of times in the New Testament that we read the word favor. Luke 1, 26-30 is one such place. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary... 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So of just the few times that it's in New Testament Scripture, we see right there that Mary is the recipient of a couple of those instances. It shows us how God looked upon Mary. And then in Luke chapter 2, there's this section where we see that Jesus is now a bit older. And the family makes a journey to the holy city of Jerusalem. And then on their way back home, they realize that Jesus is not with them. And so then they go back and they find him. And that's where he kind of delivers that line that says, you know, when they say, hey, we've been looking all over the place for you. And he says, well, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And so we see that, that story framed in a couple of different ways. Uh, Luke, 2, <clears throat> Luke 2, verse 40. Excuse me. <clears throat> there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was fil- filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. And then at the conclusion of that, then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And of course, them is Mary and Joseph. And his mother stored all these things and in her heart, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So, he was looked on favorably not only by God, but also by the people that knew him. Now church, if we want people to look favorably upon us, doesn't it matter how we treat people? Absolutely. Yeah. If we want to be looked upon by the favor of others, it has to do with what kind of person they see us as. Do they see us as a giving person? Do they see us as a loving person? Do they see us as a kind person? If so, then they will look favorably toward us. But then there's this bigger question about God and His people under the New Covenant. This idea that the word favor is mentioned so many times in the Old Testament, but very seldom in the New. And we get to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin with verse 14. Jesus has returned to Nazareth. He is back in Galilee. And uh, he's in the synagogue. And he goes up in the synagogue and he reads uh, the scroll of Isaiah. 
And so we read that account here in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when it says he sat down, it wasn't like he sat down to take his place among the people once again. Teachers of that day often sat when they taught. We read at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, it says, you know, he sat down and then he began to teach them. And so, right there, this is, if we were to read on, this is where he is ultimately rejected at Nazareth and says it is only in his hometown that a prophet is without honor. In other words, they, they have trouble with the words of a prophet because they knew you when, Right? And so that's a challenge that befalls some of us today. And I don't have to worry about anything that I did back in high school, right? You didn't know me then. You know, I don't have to worry about that. But isn't it true that sometimes people never can forget that they used to know us when we were young. Not that Jesus was a rebellious teenager. That's not the implication here at all but simply that they knew him as a person. They knew him as someone who worked with his hands. And so now someone who is in the synagogue saying today this scripture is fulfilled is a challenge for some of them to take. But my point in saying this is that Jesus says right here, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what beautiful words those are. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. If you're oppressed by something, maybe you're oppressed by someone else. Maybe you're oppressed by your own choices, your own sin. That whatever you're oppressed by, people oppressed by the slavery of addiction, that Jesus sets all of that free, church. And that is good news. And then he tells us that he's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And so what do we make of favor as New Testament Christians? Well, when that word favor was used in the early chapters of Luke, what did it have to do with? 
it had to do with the coming of the Messiah, didn't it, church? It had to do with God's ultimate gift to humanity. In Romans 5, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were separated from God by our sin, He still allowed His Son to shed His blood and be a sacrifice for us. Reading an excerpt from the, an article that came out in 1995, How the Irish Saved Civilization. It says his history, history has preserved for us two magnificent silver cups from the boggy marshes of Ireland. The first is known as the Gunderstrup Cauldron and comes from a century or two before Christ. At, at the time, the Irish worshipped violent pagan gods. That cup, that cauldron, is adorned with pictures of gods and warriors. One panel shows a gigantic cook god holding squirming humans and dropping them into a vat of oil. These gods demanded human sacrifice in order to appease their appetite. The second cup is called the Ardog Chalice and comes from seven or eight centuries after the ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. A time when the Irish had turned to Christianity. Like the first, it is a work of magnificent craftsmanship, but God is depicted radically different on this chalice. It has a simple pattern, and this cup is a cup of peace designed to be used in communion. Now, it's important to understand that in early days, communion was often one cup. They didn't have trays with the little plastic cups in them, nor did they have the little uh, chalices like we're using these days. And so when people would take communion, and there's still churches of Christ today that are what are known as one cup churches, believe it or not. Now, I don't know how they fared during the pandemic, but nonetheless. Uh, and so as the worshiper would come and then drink from that cup, they would know that their God does not demand human sacrifice, but instead sacrificed himself for us. When Jesus declares the year of the Lord's favor, it is a favor that is once and for all, church family. It is a favor that says, here, humanity, I'm not going to wipe you out even though you are sinful. I'm not going to do that again. Instead, I'm going to give you a part of myself. I'm going to give you a Savior. And this Savior will teach you how to love. This Savior will teach you how to forgive. And this Savior will be a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity, past, present, and future. Church family, if we want to know New Testament favor, 
if we want to know God's favor as New Testament Christians, all we have to do is think about the cross. All we have to do is reflect on Jesus' sacrifice when we gather around the table for communion. Peter sums it up beautifully in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I want to read part of that again. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Church, isn't that the best news ever? And the thing is, if we want to see God's favor, it's all around us. And that's what I challenge you today with. Is to be people who condition themselves to see God's favor all around them in life every single day. If you've got loyal co-workers or loyal employees... You're a recipient of God's favor. If you know what it's like to have a good boss, someone that cares about you and understands when you might need some time off unexpectedly to take care of family issues and those kinds of things, you're a recipient of God's favor. If you're out walking in the evening and you see a magnificent, just glorious sunset, then you're seeing God's favor. If you're one of those folks that gets up early enough in the morning to see the sun come up, that beautiful sunrise that greets the day and reminds us that every day is a gift from God, then in that moment you're a recipient of God's favor. That when you hear the cooing of a child in the assembly of the righteous, you are recipients of God's favor. When you see the children excited to run off to children's church, when you see a group of people sharing a meal and sharing a laugh, when you're blessed to be among those people at times, you're a recipient of God's favor. Church family, woe unto us if we do not feel like we are favored by the Most High because He is around us every day. His Scripture reminds us That when we seek Him, we will find Him. If we seek Him with all of our heart. In Acts 17, 
Paul, speaking to a group of smart people, tells them that this God you don't know is much closer than you think. What Paul was trying to tell them is, he's right here. He is all around us. I have already been a recipient of his favor this morning. I had the strength to get there and back. I have the ability to preach his message. But I've been so favored just in the greetings from some of you all. I am constantly shown favor by members of this body in so many different ways. I know that there are people that have had surgery recently that have been the recipients of meals and been the recipients maybe of other kindness. And in that, they have seen God's favor. So church family, let's not only see God's favor, but let's be instruments of God's favor. If you've been doing it all along, do it more. Do it more boldly. Love more generously. But let's be people of favor. That people are recipients of our favor because we are recipients of God's. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That is such good news. If you're with us this morning and that inheritance is not yet laid up in your name, then we're going to offer an invitation in just a moment as we stand and sing a song. And you're invited. You're invited to come and be a recipient of God's ultimate favor, a Savior in Christ Jesus. The waters of baptism are available. If you're going through something right now that you need the prayers of this family of God, then the invitation is offered for that purpose as well. Let's stand together and